Hi, my name is Alistair Caithness, CEO of Zion Inc. And this is our new podcast that discusses the energy industry and the blockchain. If you'd like to know more about the company or more about today's show, then visit our website, www.zion.com. Thanks very much. Enjoy the show. So for today's podcast, we're joined by uh, Adam Bloomberg, and uh, Adam is uh, an expert in the financial space, but also has a keen interest in blockchain. So I'll just uh, hand over to yourself, Adam, to introduce yourself and let our listeners uh, learn more about you. Okay. Thanks, Alistair. Um, Yeah, my name is Adam Bloomberg. uh, I'm in Houston, Texas. Uh, I am a financial advisor. I have a registered investment advisor, RIA, with, uh, with my partner, Ron Dixon. Uh, called Chart Wealth Management. Uh, been in the business almost 11 years now in the financial services business, doing um, uh, you know financial advice mainly for uh, for business owners and, um, and 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 other investors, other families. Um, recently, uh, I, I say recently, in the past few years, we got very interested in blockchain, the technology, in cryptocurrencies, in security tokens. Uh, and really from our aspect, how that is going to affect and be affected um, by the, the financial world, how those two worlds are coming together. Um, and, and it's it's really interesting. And, and uh, we met and, and uh, we're very interested in security tokens. And of course, being in Texas, very interested in the oil and gas space. And so um, this is a great uh, use case for blockchain and a great use case for a decentralized finance. So uh, Ron and I, my partner, are also launching or have launched a um, an education research integration uh, website called Interaxis. Uh, it's at interaxis.io where we're doing a lot of uh, videos just explaining how the finance world and the crypto digital uh, decentralized world are coming together. So, 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 Adam. So, so, why should uh, people actually care about the blockchain? Care about the blockchain? Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's that's a a really good question. That's like thirty years ago asking why people should care about the internet, mm-hmm. right? They they should care about the blockchain because it is a it's a better version, a more uh, transparent version, a more immutable version, usually of of what we have now. Right at its very core, a blockchain is just a, a database that is uh, potentially very transparent and immutable. Now, why we should care about where the industry is going and, and the different applications that are being developed is because um, it is allowing this some of the promise of the internet, right, of, of bringing the world together of breaking down barriers and breaking down borders weren't really realized by the internet. All it did was uh, let a lot of us communicate better, um, provided a way for us to reach each other, potentially uh, do some commerce, uh, a lot more commerce um, across international borders, a lot more work across international borders. We we had the ability to outsource work, uh, to outsource products, to outsource development, um, and, and, lot of that but but now what we see with blockchain is uh, the ability to really facilitate um, in, in a transparent way and and I guess disintermediate is the big word that's being used it, it's can we circumvent or can we lessen the impact of 
intermediaries like governments and banks and big companies, big middlemen that are usually in between taking a cut of everything, can we minimize those uh, impacts so that we can see potentially um, lower costs, more efficiencies and, and such. So uh, blockchain is, is going to be pervasive across what we do. It is just the next version of the internet uh, to the point that in a few years, everyone's going to be using it without even knowing they're using it, right? So, we, but, but we should be interested in it now, um, mainly because it's going this way. Uh, again, it's like asking why you should be interested in the internet 30 years ago. Yeah. It would be a, a silly thing to think of now, like I, I can't live my life without the internet, right? But in a few years, in several years, it'll be the same way without blockchain. It will just be the the underpinning of everything we do. Mm -hmm. So, so for so if you think about uh, you know our project and work in the oil and gas sector, how how do you perceive it changing the oil and gas sector? Uh, you know, I, I perceive it changing in a lot of ways. So we can start with what you do, which is well, we can start with things like raising money. So when when producers are looking to raise money for projects, right? They can currently to, to do so if they want to raise money from individual investors, and we see this a lot in our financial services world, they, um, it's a very illiquid investment, right? Those investors are, are, might be investing in, in drilling, whether it's oil or, or gas or whatever. And once they make that investment, there's really not a secondary market for it, right? So the first thing we, the, the first area we see is you could potentially tokenize that investment to where now uh, in an ideal world, there is a second market. There's a liquidity for my investment in an oil and gas project, um, which maybe makes it more appealing to a lot of investors. It also makes it to where some investors can, can make that investment get potentially the, the tax benefit of it. And then once, once that operator starts producing oil, they can sell it off as an income stream. So you start to see oil and gas investments, not just as uh, somewhat speculative and, and um, a tax play, but we see it as on one end, a speculative tax play, and then on the other, uh, an income play. So that's one major area that we see blockchain working. Uh, another is being able to, again, tokenize the income stream. Um, from a financial perspective, we're always looking for different types of investments for our clients, right? We're looking for the growth uh, investments and we're looking for the income investments. And if we can find ways to tokenize the income stream of oil and gas, that's extremely important for us because that means, um, it becomes accessible for, for more investors. Um, you know, another way that, that we see the blockchain affecting, or blockchain technology affecting oil and gas is in things like production measurement, production management, um, where since all that, that production, that data can be uh, very transparent on a blockchain, you have the ability to measure the oil coming out of the ground, measure the amount coming out of the ground, going into a tank battery, going from a battery to a truck, a truck to a, a purchaser, a, a purchaser that then um, refines it and sends it elsewhere. 
and that entire process can be transparent. So all the parties along the line can, be, can make sure that in an efficient way, they are getting paid what they're supposed to get paid, the right amount of oil or the right amount of gas is going where it should. Uh, you can possibly disintermediate in there, but, but you can cut months or, or quarters out of payment cycles, right? You can significantly uh, cut headcount in some areas and probably increase headcount in other areas, uh, you know, move people around. You can potentially be a, an operator with, with almost no headcount, with almost no people involved because so much of the work and so much of the uh, production measure and management and everything um, can be can be done and transparent via the blockchain and then you can build little applications on top of that that hook you into that chain hook you into that transparent blockchain and that production management and allow you to analyze and report it's going to allow third-party operators to come in there and maybe provide some level of service uh, based on what's going on uh, with, with production and, and with movement upstream and downstream. So that was a really long answer. I hope that helps. No, no, that, that, that's really interesting. So, so when you're talking about that, if you're, you're thinking, you know, people are starting to come, you know, learn about the blockchain. So, you know, when I'm speaking about the oil and gas blockchain, you know, when I started speaking about this at the, the in December last year, you know, I've got a lot of friends in oil and gas that just, you know, thought I was making this stuff up. You know, once the oil and uh, glass um, blockchain consortium started in Houston, you started seeing these major operators now getting involved in the blockchain. So, you, you know, huge amounts of money is getting paid, is spent by Shell, Exxon, Saudi Aramco, Adnoc, etc. And, you know, it, it started to come into the, the forefront. And now you've actually got a lot of the big service companies now coming in and, you know, they are spending a lot of money and they've got key blockchain people. But then you've got the entire supply chain, and that's where most people sit in the oil and gas industry. You know, so how is it going to affect them? And if they are interested in the blockchain or what's going to happen, how is their job going to change in the future? You see. Uh, well, the, the the supply chain to me is is probably the biggest part where uh, blockchain is going to affect the oil and gas industry and just about every industry, right? Because the supply chain is where you need the most transparency. And that's where we're going to see uh, the biggest potential gains in the, in the fact that you can actually watch whether it's oil, gas, any products that are being shipped anywhere. Um, you're actually going to be able to watch them move along the supply chain in a in a transparent, either public or, or semi-private uh, blockchain, um, and as it moves along the chain, you're going to have the mechanisms, the smart contracts and such to affect uh, payment, change of ownership and such. So um, an example might be as oil um, moves from the ground, to a tank battery, if it moves along a pipeline to a certain purchaser, you might have devices along that pipeline that register when the, the oil has hit there. And at that point, payment can be initiated. Ownership can change hands and payment can be initiated, right? So um, when, when you start talking about the, the pipeline companies along the supply chain, they're gonna be able to automate so much more of their of their infrastructure and so much more of their of their cycles um, 
hopefully, you know, for the better to be to be able to effectuate lower payment cycles and and more efficient systems. So the supply chain is going to definitely be impacted. So so for those companies along the supply chain, you know, to me, like I, I'd say, rather than try to fight it, try to figure out how you are going to be the ones that are going to integrate uh, a blockchain or, or blockchain technologies into your system and even try to develop the technologies um, to to make the system more efficient rather than trying to fight it uh, because what we've seen in oil and gas and really in any any industry is it's it's usually going to move towards being more efficient and if you are going to be stuck in in ways that are older you're going to be stuck doing things via paper and mail and such uh, someone's going to come in and be you Someone's just going to come in and beat you at that game um, be, because there are going to be small providers, again, that can be efficient, that can be multinational, that can be developing these products and these services because a lot of the data is going to be transparent and they're just going to, to make the entire system and the entire chain more uh, efficient. Um, so the supply chain, to me, in oil and gas and, and really in so many different fields, is where we're going to see the biggest impact in terms of greater efficiencies because we're just going to be able to track everything um, transparently from beginning to end and if we can track and if we can if we can prove and we can use internet of you know iot devices to show how products uh, have moved from one spot in the chain to another and then move payment from one party to another, uh, we you can see where we can make things much more efficient. Yeah, to me, that's one of the big savings for a lot of people out there is they don't realize this trackability of everything is going to create huge amounts of efficiency and time saving, you know, because you hear all the stories whereby there's, you know, there's guys set and there's a problem on a rig out in the Gulf of Mexico. So the, you know, this, this, helicopter out to six guys and then they get there don't have the right parts so suddenly you're paying right. the, the people out there and you know and from my perspective i think people in the supply chain is the fact that you're going to be able to track everything and have the timeline for everything that suddenly this control of the project should actually improve in so many ways that people maybe from the outside thinking well how is it really going to affect you but if you start thinking about time delays that's happening within the industry and the saving of time delays. This is where you know I see huge money savings coming in as well. Oh sure, there, there's there's big savings potentially in time delays, like you said, in money delays. Think about when when you produce something and have to wait 90 to 120 days to get paid on it, simply because there are human processes and paper processes and mail processes. Uh, that seems a little silly to to be waiting that long for for money to change hands on a product that changed hands 90 days ago. Um, so that that's where we're going to see quite a bit of savings too. Now we have to be cautious and be careful in in not you know making the assumption that just because it has the potential to be more efficient that it's going to be readily adopted. Right. The, again, the Internet has been around and, and usable for 25 or 30 years, and the oil and gas industry has not adopted it nearly to its potential. 
right? I mean, you and I both know that there are still, you know, the, the in some cases, the extent to which the oil and gas industry has adopted the internet is they PDF invoices and email them to each other, um, which is, you know, the which is basically using internet technology of 20 years ago today, right? So just because it's more efficient and has the potential to be more efficient doesn't mean it's going to be adopted. Uh, we have to figure out not only how it's more efficient, but how we can get users, how we can get the companies, how we can get adoption, and how we can get behaviors to change. And that, you know, as you said, is, is somewhat starting with, with the top, with organizations like the oil and gas uh, consortium, uh, oil and gas blockchain consortium here in Houston. But we know that it's really difficult for a lot of big multinational multi-billion dollar companies to agree on anything. So consortia in, in the past don't really have a, a really good track record of agreeing in, in a very fast manner. So it, it's gonna take somewhat of those consortia and those big companies, those big players saying, yeah, we're looking into this. And then it's also gonna take the small players, the people like you, you know yourself and, and some other small players that might leave those big companies and say, hey, we can make this technology better. We can make this efficient and just create the system and find the, the low hanging fruit type of users and plug them in and, and just start using it and show that efficiency rather than talking about it, just do it and show it. And eventually the, the majors and the big guys will either have to adopt it or they'll have to acquire those smaller companies. Right? So it's, it's not something we're just saying that it, it's more efficient equals adoption. Yeah, no, no, I 100% agree with that as well. And but I think that, you know, they're talking about up to like $12 billion being invested into blockchain technology by next year. So from looking at other, you know, your other industry sectors in the financial sector, you know, what's the adoption there? You know, everyone obviously knows about Bitcoin and what Bitcoin does, but how's the rest of the financial sector going to be adopting blockchain from your perspective? Um, the rest of the financial sector is it, it, it's pretty slow as well, and the financial sector is slow to adopt any new technology, and a lot of that has to do with regulation, right? Especially in the U.S., we're the biggest economy in the world, and uh, we have the most regulation. We have the most regulation for a reason, right? That we we have this regulation in the in the financial sector because we want to we we want to keep people's money safe. And the government wants to keep people's money safe. They have an interest in doing that. So in the financial sector, we're, we're kind of in a similar boat. In the last, um, I would say, five or six years, there's been a huge upswing in financial technology. Uh, technology, a lot of it based on um, smartphones that, that is helping people with their, their finances. Um, now, as far as Bitcoin and and blockchain in the financial world we have something called decentralized finance it's being pushed quite a bit but it's running into a lot of uh regulatory issues right we, we're we're trying to move it forward because it's a it's a more efficient system it gives people more opportunities to invest it gives the the companies who need money more opportunity to to get that money and and, and just like in the oil and gas world the transparency is is very helpful 
Um, but again, you run into a lot of issues with regulation. You run into a lot of issues with current systems, integration with current systems. When you have trillions and trillions of dollars with certain custodians and banks and such, those those are kind of like the majors in the oil industry, right? They They don't change very quickly. Now, the nice thing we've seen in the financial world is we've seen companies like JP Morgan come out with their own, you know, ideas of their own cryptocurrency, with the idea being um, we already, so much of our money is transferred digitally anyway. Why not just make a token out of that and, and simplify and, and make everything even more transparent? Um, in the financial world, we, we also see that that we can make this so much more international and bring in international investors and and you have so many teams working on some of these projects that are international teams that have you know that some of them have never even met each other but they're working on some of these projects um, because you can you start talking about the the worldwide the unbanked right the people who who don't have access to a bank in their country um, or, or wherever they live or or are not at a sufficient income level to warrant going to a bank and now they can utilize cryptocurrency and and tokens and such to invest and to build their business and to actually send money where they want to send it and they're not burdened by fees and they're not burdened by friction that uh that banks and and government create so there's a kind of a tug of war going on between what the users and what the community wants and what the government and the and the big players like the banks will actually allow them to do. So how how do you think that's going to affect banks going forward? Obviously, J.P. Morgan people know from Chase out here, and they made, you know they did J.P.M. coin. So that was really right. why I called Zion Zion coin. It wasn't because of Bitcoin. It's because we did the same regulation as them, the five hundred six right. leg D. And you know, I just thought in my uh, wisdom, well, I'll just call it Zion coin. In hindsight, I wish I called that a token, <laughs> but at the time, because <laughs> then everyone thinks it's Bitcoin. But right. you know, so if you can explain what the uh, difference between what JPM coin is and Bitcoin is, so people can maybe understand it from a financial perspective, you know. Sure. Well, Bitcoin, of course, being the first example of blockchain and, and the most successful decentralized finance or decentralized currency example, right? Bitcoin runs on its own uh, its own code. It's, it's kind of autonomous code that started over 10 years ago and is still pretty much running today almost in the, as the same version, right? So it, it has its own monetary supply and Bitcoin exists to be Bitcoin, right? And, and it's going to have its own valuation. My understanding of the JP Morgan coin is it's going to be there to essentially facilitate uh, transactions because today, if, if I wanted to send money to, if I wanted to send money to someone in, in another state and they didn't, and, and I, I bank with JP Morgan Chase and they don't, well, I can use something like Zelle or or, or uh, Venmo or something, but it's still going through the banking system to do that. And there's still fees and there's still friction. There's all sorts of, of issues that, that take place there. Whereas if everyone's just going to use a token, I can send money to essentially anywhere in the world and 
and have it be you know nearly instantaneous and uh, completely transparent. My wallet is, is sending it to their wallet. Now, in, in the case of Bitcoin, the problem is you have the volatility, right? So I, we can't transact business in Bitcoin. You and I can't agree that you're going to send me some amount of oil uh, for five Bitcoin in, in 30 days because we have no idea what the price of Bitcoin is going to be in 30 days, right? We're both taking a risk there. But if the JP Morgan coin is kind of pegged to the dollar, then we can agree that we're going to transact business in the JP Morgan, the JPM coin. Um, and we know that it's pretty much worth a dollar. And the JPM coin just makes it easy. We can wrap it into a smart contract. And we can say, as soon as I take delivery of the oil, you get paid your money immediately. You can track it on a blockchain. Um, it immediately goes from my wallet to your wallet and we can wrap code around it called a smart contract. We can do the same thing with Bitcoin. We can do the same thing with, with Ether. The difference is Bitcoin and Ether are, um, are, are volatile, whereas the idea of the JPM coin is, is that it is not volatile. So with so many banks coming out, do you envisage them all creating their own version of a coin or how is this going to go forward? Uh, uh, I envision they're all going to try to create their own version of a coin because no one wants to, you know, Wells Fargo certainly doesn't want to use the JPM coin. Um, mm -hmm. So I assume that they'll all try to start that and, and it'll, it'll basically just be a digital representation of, of a dollar or some currency that you hold in their account. Right. So it's not, it's not going to be anything revolutionary. Um, it's just going to be their, you know, when I deposit $100 in my JP Morgan Chase account, they're just going to denote that probably in JPM coins, JPM tokens, um, so that we can, you know, I, I can transact business, I can send money um, to, to, to anyone else. And they can just, they can just do that via blockchain, which is a lot less expensive and more efficient than trying to do it via the, the current ACH system the current wire system. Um, so I think all the banks will create it. I, I don't think it, it'll be anything revolutionary. Um, it'll probably be somewhat pegged to a dollar. The, the, the thing is, what will we be able to do with it? Will I be able to trade one JPM coin for one Wells Fargo coin, right? Where, where will that reconciliation take place? And that's gonna be the question. So they're, again, they're not creating anything that's revolutionary. They're not trying to create a JPM coin that, that goes up in value. Because that, to me, doesn't that, that doesn't really help them. Uh, what they need is is the ability to transact business and move money in a more efficient way. Uh, and and with and that means without using the current baking rails that we have, but changing that. And and Bitcoin showed us how to do that. Right? They showed us that it's possible to to trust code to be able to transact and and move money from one place to another relatively quickly. And we can trust that the code will do that. Um, the, the current banking system does that, but they do it in a very roundabout way that, that ends up being relatively expensive considering I just wanna get my money to you, right? I, I don't wanna move money from myself, from my bank account to your bank account. Why is it, why do so many hands have to be in there taking fees and, and slowing down the process? So, so how do you think this is going to affect banking going forward? 
if you know such a huge bit of a lot of these banks now is just uh, generated money from fees um well the banks are going to have to uh they're going to have to figure that out and and you know the, on on one hand they're they're kind of trying to fight it look the the banks the banks are there for a reason right they're, they're they're there because we needed a central point we needed someone to trust and someone to scale the economy because there was no way to create any sort of peer-to-peer -peer transactions, peer-to-peer -peer lending. I couldn't lend you money if I didn't know you and we weren't in the same area and I didn't, and, and we weren't close to each other and I couldn't understand your business model or why you needed the money and I didn't trust that you would repay. Banks took on that role of saying, we'll keep your money safe and we'll lend it out to someone else and we'll make sure that that person uh, is good and viable and we'll sit in the middle. And and we'll be the, the in between, and we'll take on that risk. And then, of course, they outsource that a lot of that risk to the government. And the government said, "All right, we'll we'll take on a lot of that risk, so that the people can feel comfortable putting their money in your bank." Um, and and look, the, to be honest, back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, here in the U.S. And, and around the world, the banks violated that trust. Right? They they got greedy, and and the government bailed them out. So. As far as how they'll how the banks will go forward, um, I think they're going to, to try to adopt a lot of the blockchain technology to make themselves more efficient. I think they're going to start buying up a lot of the decentralized finance companies and, and applications and protocols that come out, particularly around lending, and try to see how they can make that their own. Um, or they're going to try to use a lot of those protocols. Um, because what those protocols are going to do is they're going to lock up funds and smart contracts. And, and so the banks are going to do that for, for lending, right? They're either going to try to buy the companies and the protocols that are out there, or they're, they're going to uh, try to use them themselves, try to partner with them. On the, the um, transfer side, the, the fees, the, the, the way that banks make a lot of their money through the, the fees, um, they're just going to have to... I don't know. I, I feel like they're going to have to either lower their fees or, again, they're going to end up buying those companies that are going to be facilitating the, the money transfer. And once they bought them, then they can charge the fees. Right? So they're, they're going to have to find a way to continue to, to move forward and make their money or they're going to have to you know, make all new markets. Banks are going to get into the, the market of custody of digital assets. Right. So you are. Your, your, you know, Zinecoin, for instance, has to be custody. It has to be held somewhere, right? Well, we already trust banks. They already have that blessing from the government. They're going to make some money by holding those assets for us. They're going to, they're going to hold things safe. They're going to figure out how to make money um, on, on blockchain because, look, we, as far as we would love to have this totally decentralized utopian world where we can just interact peer to peer, that isn't going to happen. We're humans and humans, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, try to screw each other over a lot. And the banks are there to, to kind of hold on to that trust and, and to be that throat to choke. They can be the ones that we yell at when something goes wrong, right? And then the government can kind of back the banks up. So we're still going to need them and they're going to figure out how they're going to make money uh, along the way. With, again, whether it's through continuing to, to lend, but using these, these other protocols or continuing to, to charge fees. But 
they're going to make themselves more efficient so they can lower the fees and there's going to be another fee war um, or, or offering different products. Um, they're going to, they're going to find a way to, to compete. And, and we've already seen it in the fact that again, JP Morgan, uh, you know, for, for months was telling us uh, how Bitcoin was kind of a, a scam and, and it was going to go down in value. It has no value. Come to find out they're building their own. Right, so they they definitely see the value in it. Um, so they're they're going to get into the game of of things like transfer of, of probably smart contracts of custody um, of auditing smart contracts things like that uh, uh, services that they can provide because in reality when you and I transact business especially if we're international we're going to need some big entity behind everything because because regardless of the code you and i can't fully trust each other but there's going to have to be some big entity and that might be the bank that are going to back everything up i'm i'm not quite sure what it is but but they're not going away that's for sure yeah no no i i just think there might be a, a shift to more of this sort of traditional banking so my dad was a bank manager for 30 years with the bank of scotland so back in Scotland there, and when he first got into banking, the traditional banking was money and lending, small business development, you know, but just as everything evolved with it, it just moved away from that. And it just went into the sort of fee culture and just moved away from just looking after the customer on a small scale. So in the UK, you've got Richard Branson with Virgin Money trying to bring back that concept, you know. Right. And, and I think, I, you know, that the parallel can be drawn in my world, in the financial services world, right? Because the financial services world went from helping people, offering advice, um, you know, true advice to this idea of, well, I'm going to try to make you more money on your money. I'm going to try to invest your money for you. And I'm going to try to pick the best stocks and put you in the best portfolios. And I'm going to brag about my returns. Well, then the, the technology got so good that no one's returns could beat anyone else's and we're back to technology handling a lot of the investment for people and you have to go back to that human element the human uh, advisor um, utilizing the technology so banking might be the the actual people and the relationships on top of the technology the as you said the the old school the, you know back to those banking relationships um, that, that are kind of backing everything up so you can get a decentralized loan, but the bank has to be backing that, right? So, um, and helping people with their, you know, a, a kind of a place to deposit money and a place to, to get loans, they're just offering it in a, in a different, uh, more technologically efficient way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, that makes sense with that as well. So just, just one last thing to, to, to cover sure. as well. It's been really interesting, Adam, is, um, you know, I'd like to just speak a little bit about Libra and what Facebook are doing. So when they announced Libra uh, when it was coming out is this new stable coin from Facebook, which is sort of makes sense. They're moving into this sector. It was really the thing that interested me was you had people like Visa and MasterCard and PayPal all looking like they're going to be involved in this project going forward. So if you can just explain your viewpoint on this and then why would these big sort of financial institutions get involved in something like stablecoin with Facebook's Libra rather than Bitcoin? 
Um, well, I'll say I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I've I, I looked at Libra months you know ago when it first came out, and I haven't really looked at it again. And, and I've kind of followed it. Um, of course, they want to get involved because it, it's Facebook, and it's it's Facebook's um, the the idea that Visa and everyone else can get involved with 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 a coin that every user of Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, whatever else Facebook owns is able to send money to each other, of course they want to get involved in that because that opens up a whole new economy, right? Now, I mean, I know, look, my wife buys things that she sees on Facebook all the time that she, you know, someone is selling their old furniture and she buys it on Facebook and she, but, but there has to be a dollar transaction now. Well, if that can all done be, be, be done using Libra, well, that makes that opens up everybody to sell to everyone else in such an easy manner, and going you know right through the the Facebook interface or the Instagram interface or or whatever interfaces. I mean that that's huge. So of course all those big players want to be involved because Facebook is such a monster in having so much data, right? I mean for for all those big companies to have access to all that data that that Facebook has I mean that that's really to me that's what a big part of Libra is is this ability to to now now you not only have everybody's um, social media posts and what they're doing and where they are where they are and who their family is and everything but now you go okay we know everything they're going they're going to spend money on and who they're spending money with that's huge so of course all those all those partners want to be a part of it if they can until the government, you know, decides to shut it down. Because in, in reality, something like Libra and, and any cryptocurrency where you can transact business using it, well, that cuts into the, the business of Visa and MasterCard and PayPal, right? That, that cuts into their business so they, they might get cut out of quite a bit. There are quite a few other blockchains and stable coins that are trying to cut out Visa. Um, and of course, Lyft and, and eBay want to be involved because, well, if they can transact business in Libra and everyone's used to using it, and that's the, the currency of choice, well, of course, they, they want to be involved. Now, the other thing to remember about Libra and, and what they were potentially trying to do, which is a, a big push for a lot of uh, blockchain and, and cryptocurrency people, is what we call banking the unbanked, right? So if you could have your identity kind of through Facebook and be able to have some money in in terms of Libra, and you're not able to get even necessarily, you know, depending on where you live, you might not be able to get a passport uh, because you might not have a birth certificate. You might not be able to get a bank account. And having a bank account is what opens you up to the rest of the economy, right? Having a credit card and such, that allows you to buy things. So if you can just have a Facebook account, and by virtue of that, you have Libra cryptocurrency, that that incredibly opens up the number of people now who can transact business and send money to each other around the world. So of course all those companies want to be part of it because if, if I can, if, if I now have, um, have a, a, an online persona personality and I have money attached to it and I never had that before and I can buy things from you, that's huge. And that's, and that's, you know, the, the unbanked around the world, uh, part of what Libra said they were trying to do was give those people some ability to transact and, and to be a part of the economy. Right now, 
you know, it, it all is still kind of in the background of it. it. It's Facebook and Facebook has had some privacy issues and, and you wonder, okay, is Facebook going to be tracking every single thing we do and everything we spend money on? And now they're going to have a whole bunch more people that they weren't able to track before and now they can do it. Um, so that's kind of in the background. You almost wonder if it weren't attached to Facebook, would it be okay? And, and I don't know, but, but yeah, I mean, of course all those companies want to be part of it because Facebook has so many users. They have so much data and so much information. Right. If Google came out with it, it would be the same thing. If Amazon came out with it, it would be the same thing. Facebook just said it first. So from that there, you, you presume Amazon will probably launch their one shortly afterwards or something similar. Uh, they might. You look at Amazon. Amazon is probably more in the business of uh, maybe letting someone else do it and then just buying it and, and integrating it. Um, but it it's it's almost no different than having an Amazon account or an Amazon gift card or something. They, they essentially have it with, with Amazon gift cards and such. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I look, Amazon's, they're not stupid. They're going to use uh, blockchain in the background for, to, to make themselves a lot more efficient. They already power so much of blockchain with, with Amazon web services. So they're, they're well out in front of this, I'm sure. And they're, they're going to launch something, whether it's, an Amazon token, or they're going to start accepting some other, you know, decide to accept DAI or, or USDC or some other tokens. Um, they're, they're already looking ahead and, and ready for that. I'm, I'm quite sure. And, and look, the, all the others that are part of this Uber and Lyft and everyone, they're, they're starting to, or they're going to accept cryptocurrency soon. It's just a matter of how easy it is to actually transact that business, exchange it back into dollars or whatever currency and how much friction there is there, and whoever can make it easy and relatively seamless, that, that's who's going to be the, the clear leader. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, that, that's been really interesting. So, well, thanks very much for your uh, time today, Adam. If you want to just uh, let our viewers know if they want to find out more information about you, where's the best place to go? Sure. Uh, like I said, we, we have a, a new website where we've launched called Interaxis. It's Interaxis, I-N-T-E-R-A-X-I-S dot I-O. Uh, we're going to continue to put up videos every, probably every week, uh, different aspects of decentralized finance, of finance, just anything we can explain. I like using a whiteboard, so I get on video and I explain it. Um, my Twitter handle is at a s. Blumberg. That's A S B L U M B E R G, uh, and those are the the two best places to find us. Okay, perfect. Well, well thanks very much for the the interview and uh, coming on the podcast today. Appreciate your time. All right, thanks, Alistair, and, and congratulations on everything you got going on. And and uh, from me being not only in the finance world, the blockchain world, and in Houston, Texas, the oil and gas world, uh, I really appreciate what you're doing, and excited to see it. Okay, thanks again then, Adam. Okay, okay, have a nice day. Thanks, you too, Alistair. Bye-bye. Thanks very much for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more information or get our next podcast, then visit our website, www.zyn.com. Thanks very much. Have a nice day.